1: To uh, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 7, we'll continue in our study here. Genesis 39 verse 7, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Again, Lord, we assemble before you and ask that, Lord, as we read, as we study, as we think, that you would be our unseen teacher, Lord, teaching us about the wonders of your Son in whom you're well-pleased. The Lord Jesus, in his name we pray, amen. Okay, chapter 39, verse seven, we're reading here, and it says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, Okay, now, what we saw in our last study was that there just are two phrases that really encapsulate Joseph's life. And they are the phrases which are found in verse two, the Lord was with Joseph. That's what you can say about him in all of his life. The Lord was with him when he was being cast into the pit. The Lord was with him in Potiphar's house in the prison as prime minister. The Lord was with Joseph. That was the secret of his life. And the next is verse eight, but he refused. That was the resolve of his life. The resolve of Joseph's life was that he was going to refuse sin. Those are two beautiful statements that describe Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph, and Joseph said no to sin. And there's really there's a relationship between those two statements because the reason that God was with Joseph is because Joseph did say no to sin, like it says in Psalm twenty four, in Psalm twenty four, and asked the question Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his place? He that hath clean hands, that hath not lifted up, and a pure heart, and has not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He, this is the one, who's gonna receive the blessing through the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. He's gonna receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. So when Joseph refused to sin, God saw Joseph is keeping his hands clean, and Joseph was able to ascend to God, and God was with Joseph. And when he refused to sin, he was just like it says in James 4, 8, draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, double-minded. So God is always looking first to decide who he's gonna be with, and what he's looking for is the one who has decided to keep himself with God. That's what King Asa was told by the prophet Azariah. That's what he's told him in 2 Chronicles 15.2, 2 Chronicles 15.2, where it says the prophet Azariah. And he went out to meet Asa and said unto him, Hear me now, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. And we have to remember that when sin comes knocking and we do not refuse, then we are forsaking God. But if we've sinned and forsaken God, then God has always left a door open. And this is the wonder of it all. God's always leaves this way back. When we think sinful thoughts, And that's sin. And we forsake God. And God always leaves the door open for us. And there's that promise, that wonderful promise that God gives in Isaiah 55, 7. Isaiah 55, which says, Let the wicked forsake his ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So this statement in verse 8 here, but he refused, is Joseph's response to sin, and that makes him an overcomer. Now, we've seen how this makes him an overcomer, and he's an example to us, and, and how we're supposed to keep ourselves unstained, unspotted by the world. I mean, but what's important to see here about Joseph, what we want to really focus on this morning, is that this concept of we're not just supposed to try and get to heaven by keeping ourselves personally all clean, and like that's the Whole thing we're supposed to do. I mean, God has not just put us here in the world only to stay clean, but God has a purpose for us. And as the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5 14, Matthew 5.14, he said, Ye are the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And then the challenge comes in Matthew 4.19, Matthew 4.19, where the Lord said, he saith unto him, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So what does this mean? Temptations, as Joseph was facing here, they're like the storm, and to fall overboard from the ship is like falling into sin, And it's like, we're on the deck of the ship in the great storm of temptations, and we've kept ourselves from falling overboard into the sea of sin, but there are those that have fallen overboard. And the question is, what do we do about them? What should we do about those who have fallen overboard into the sea of sin? Should we just ignore them, just ignore them and not do anything? You know, pretend like we don't see them? Or should we get to the edge of the ship and yell over the side? Now you should not have fallen overboard. (laughs) You shouldn't have fallen into that city. It's that sea now. Now I'm going to tell you how to not fall into the sea. And God bless you as you go along. You know, (laughs) I mean, no, God wants us to throw life preservers to those who've fallen overboard and to see them rescued. And that's what's so beautiful about these next words that we have in the history of Joseph here in verse eight. And these words were, it says, and said to his master's wife. This is a beauty of Joseph. Joseph looked at Potiphar's wife as a poor soul that fell overboard into the sea of sin. So when Potiphar's wife comes and challenges Joseph with this, you know, verse verse seven, lie with me, Joseph saw from her invitation that she had fallen overboard. And and he cared for her. And he, you know, he could have been like the sailor. You know, looked overboard and saw the fallen sailors and say nothing, just ignored her. I and mean, he didn't have to say anything to her. He didn't have to. I mean, he could have just said, "Oh, that's outrageous." I'm not even. I'm not even gonna answer that. And when we see others in their sin, it's so easy for us to not say a word to them, especially when they invite us to sin. To you know, to just say no and don't say anything else. And Joseph didn't have to say anything to Potiphar's wife. He could have refused and not responded to her, just said, no, no nothing, no. But that was not Joseph. Instead, Joseph did what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And this is what's so important to see about what Joseph did here, because when the Lord Jesus came in a very interesting time of the history there in Mark chapter 6, 34, and it says this, and Jesus... When he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were a sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. Okay, so here's this scene, and the Lord Jesus is like the sailor on the ship, and when he looks overboard, he sees much people. He sees much people. And when we look at the Lord Jesus in this situation, we see our master, we see the one we're trying to follow. When he says in Matthew 4:19, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men," or that as we follow the Lord Jesus in this passage in Mark 6:34, I'm talking about, in the passage of Mark 6:34, we we are seeing him pursue four clear steps. And when we follow those same four clear steps, we'll become fishers of men. And these are the four steps that Joseph followed when Joseph became a fisher of Potiphar's wife. Okay, so step one in Mark 6.34 says that the Lord saw much people. You know, he didn't close his eyes and say, I can't see anybody, I don't see anybody, I don't see anybody. He didn't do that. But he saw them. You you know, what's so interesting about this situation when it says he saw all these needy people in Mark 6.34, What's interesting is that what he was doing, what he and his disciples were doing uh, before they saw them, and, it's, and we're given that in the verses before in Mark 6.31. Mark 6.31 tells us that he said to them, meaning his disciples, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Oh, that sounds pretty good. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure as much, as so much as to eat. They didn't even have time to eat. So that that's a very high, I can tell you from experience, very high priority. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. That means alone. So previous to this, so much was going on. This was an emotional drain. I mean, previous to this, John the Baptist, the great John the Baptist, has been beheaded. And his disciples have come. They couldn't believe it. He's been beheaded. Herod didn't want to do it. He's getting been beheaded. And they take up his bloody, headless corpse and bury it. And there was just a lot of drama, a lot of emotion over that. And it was just a time when everybody was just emotionally drained trying to process all this. They had they hadn't even taken time to eat, and people were coming and going, and they were famished. And the Lord told them that, look, you know, they were all in desperate need to have their batteries charged again. And so the Lord Jesus says to them in, in, in verse 31, and he said unto them, Come yourselves apart into a desert place, rest a while. Okay, so the Lord's saying to them, look, you know what? We need a little desert retreat so we can rest and eat And that's what they were doing. They had left for a little mini vacation, you know. And that was the time, that was during that time, when the Lord saw all the much people. And it's so easy for us not to see needy people around us. It's so easy for us to say, you know what, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm too hungry. You know, right now, to have to deal with all these, these people. They have to deal with this person. You know, I just won't see them. I don't see them. You know, after all, I'm open to needy people from nine to five, Monday through Friday. This is after hours. Come back later, you know. And that's exactly what the disciples thought. That's exactly because they were looking forward so much to this little desert mini retreat with just them and the Lord. And they would rest and he would teach them privately. And, and it was going to be a wonderful time. And they saw these much people as, Oh no. This is a giant unwelcome interruption. So in verse thirty-five of Mark six, Mark six thirty-five, it says, When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country roundabout and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So when the disciples said, you know, this, they're saying, Come on, Lord. This is a nice place. This is a nice desert place right here for us to have our little time together to recharge our batteries, to eat, and the time is far spent. And look at all these people. like They're like ants that have come out of an ant hole here. You know, they're an like unwelcome intrusion. And just, would you please send them away? They don't have any bread in there. Oh, but that's not what the Lord did. Even though he also was tired and he also was hungry, he didn't close his eyes. And he saw the much people, he saw the much needy people. And much to his disciples, disappointment. He said, you know, in essence, he said, no boys, have them all sit down and give them to eat. So that's step one. It's to have our eyes open to see people in their need and not to close our eyes because we want to do something else. We have plans, we're tired, we're hungry, and we're busy this is Joseph. Joseph was not expecting this challenge, which is a temptation to him, but also revealed her need from Potiphar's wife. It just hit Joseph broadside. And Joseph, he could have just closed his eyes to Potiphar's wife in her great need. He could have just refused and I don't see you, I don't hear you, you know, and acted like a blind person, but he didn't. Step two is in Mark 6.34 when it says, the Lord saw them as sheep not having a shepherd. So this step is the Lord saw the needy people, and then the Lord just sort of takes time and, you know, thinks about what he saw, and listens, and he sees their need. See, in this step, what it's showing us is that we need to take time, to take time to think about the core need of that individual person. Everybody's different. Everybody's different. But God has brought us, and that's our diagnosis time, if you're, you know, thinking medically. It's a time like, you know, what exactly wrong? What is, and that's a time of listening. That's the time of listening. That's why we open our eyes to the lost around us so that we can listen to them. We can think about their the what are the issues that keep that person bound to sin and in rebellion against God. What's the issue? You know, what's the issue? So that's what this step two is. And so we do this so that foremost, why do we want to know that? Foremost so that we can become an effective intercessor for that person. We need to be a person who carries their issues to God because we're children of God. We're children of God. And what it means to be a child of God, it's talking about it in John 1.12 when it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power, or gave power, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. There's a double reception in that verse, John 1, 12. There is the receiving of him. We receive him, and then we receive power. See, that's a double reception. And we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and God, and then we receive power. And that's a very important word in the Greek, exousia, exousia is a very important word because it's translated power, and we receive power to become the sons of God, but it also means honor. We receive the honor of becoming children of God, sons of God, and it also means authority. We receive the authority of a new title of becoming sons of God, and it also means privilege. We receive the privilege we receive the privilege, the authority, the power to become the sons of God. Well, all of that power and that authority and that honor and that privilege comes with responsibility. We have a responsibility as the sons of God. And it's not just to be the sons of God, but it's to accomplish the job of the sons of God. You know, this reminds me of, of John Phillips. John Phillips who I got to know because he was a partner in the firm Phillips and Cullen. He was the Phillips of John Phillips, obviously, in a law firm that represented me in my whistleblower lawsuits. And so I got to know John. So, And I remember in 2013 when John was appointed by President Obama to be the U.S. ambassador to Italy. It was such a big deal. There was a celebration, and John moved to Italy, and there he uh, he has been the ambassador to Italy. Well, as an ambassador to Italy, John didn't just have the power and the authority and the honor and the privilege of being an ambassador of the U.S. to Italy, but he also had responsibilities of being the U.S. ambassador to Italy. And as a matter of fact, he resigned from his firm, and that's all he does. Okay, So in the same way, not only have we the power and the authority and the honor and the privilege of being the sons of God, but we've got responsibilities. And one of our responsibilities is to pray for the lost. That's one of our responsibilities, to pray for the lost. And that means to carry their specific needs after we thought about that and considered them carefully to the Lord in prayer. So therefore, we have to take time to listen to them and to think about them and what they need. Now, from what we're gonna see about Joseph and what he said to Potiphar's wife, it's gonna be very evident that Joseph has taken that time to listen to her and to think about her greatest needs. Now, step three is seen in Mark 634 when it says about the Lord that he was moved with compassion toward them. You know, it's so very easy to become sterile academic with the lost. And by academic, I mean to do steps one and two, see them, analyze them, listen to them, analyze them, think about their greatest need, and then sort of keep it in the mind. Oh, yeah, right, okay, he's really caught in sexual immorality, he's going to hell, I understand that. And not allow our hearts to get involved. It's so easy to guard our hearts it's so easy to be the oncologist who sees his patients dying left and right or the nephrologist who sees his patients dying left and right. And it's so easy to be like some of them that keep themselves guarded from becoming emotionally moved by the lost and to guard our hearts and to not let ourselves become hard involved with their plight. That's to become hard-hearted. And that was not the Lord. When it says in Mark six thirty-four that the Lord Jesus was moved with compassion toward them, that means that he didn't just guard his heart from being you know, deeply affected, not at all, but he allowed his heart to be broken for the lost. Now, I'm not saying that we should all become emotional and cry at everything, but weeping over a lost soul, you know, John 11:35 35, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it just simply says, it's very short, but it says so much when it says Jesus wept. Now, Joseph allowed his heart to have compassion on Potiphar's wife. And then step four is seen in Mark 6.34, Mark 6.34 again, when it says, and he began to teach them many things. So this is the next step in working with the lost. It's to teach them, it's to teach them. You know, this last week, a good Japanese friend of mine who has cancer told me that he prayed to God But he's not sure that he prayed to the right God. (laughs) I've been thinking a lot about that statement. I didn't say much other than, did you read the Bible I gave you? But that's all I said. Okay. So I've been thinking a lot about that and analyzing that as I'm planning this week to visit him and to teach him from the Bible who the right God is that he should pray to because the lost are ignorant. The lost are ignorant. They don't know who the Lord Jesus Christ is. You know, there's a sign if you drive down on Mission Gorge Road there on the road, it says, who is Jesus? They don't know. And because of this ignorance or what the Bible calls lack of knowledge, they're destroyed. They're destroyed. Because it says in Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou has rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. We fight against the lack of knowledge and our weapon is the bible and that's our book of knowledge and our method is to gently instruct instruct the lost in what the bible says well that's what we see joseph doing here when it says in verse 8 here and said unto his master
0: another wonderful day studying the bible with our bible teacher tom Cantor here on friendship with god Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org, Cantor. At friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Come meet Pam Tebow, Tim Tebow's mom, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th at the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference presented by the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Pam Tebow will be speaking on homeschooling her five children, including Tim Tebow. And we'll worship with musician and singer Michael Sanchez from The Voice. And hear from special speakers Kevin Conover from Educate for Life, Pat Roy, formerly of Jonathan Park, and CEO Tom Cannard, president of the First Creation Museum and Friendship with God Bible Radio Teacher cost for the event is only $15 per day, and enjoy a Chick-fil-A lunch and fellowship with other homeschoolers. So invite your friends and register today for the Educate for Life Homeschool Conference with Pam Tebow at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, on Friday, August 4th and Saturday, August 5th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or visit creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org.